That is Beard, the Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Jan Dekel. Hello and welcome to another episode of Daddy Square, the Gay Dads Podcast. I'm Jan. I'm Alex. And I'm Daniel. Yay. How was your week, guys? Oh, there was a lot of espresso. How it's was it, your week, Daniel? It was good. I, I grew another year older this week, last week. Oh, you know, to 120. Yeah, 120. That's lovely. Torby was really adorable, though. He got really upset on my birthday when he found out that we weren't having a party. So the whole buildup, he was going to get me a new iPhone for my birthday. And I kept Aww. telling him I don't need an iPhone and you don't have a thousand dollars to get me a phone. <laughs> but um, he goes, I'm going to get, that's what I'm going to get for you. And then guess what? What? I got nothing. <laughs> we're going to give you a scintillating hour of podcasting for your birthday. And Perfect. I want to start because uh, when Daniel walked in, uh, he told us uh, a, a delightful that. story <laughs> <laughs> about uh, kids and going to school and losing shit. So I just want to say that we had two days of rain in LA, and in these two days, we lost two raincoats. <laughs> so, and I've been telling them every day I send them to school, and please, look at your stuff. Bring back the same thing that you took. <laughs> it's you not know, that you hard, right? <laughs> and I just can't. I, it, it's uncontrollable. I mean, how much money does okay. it cost? Okay, can I? I would like to take a moment to speak for the children. Who? Who will care for the children? I would like to talk about the children for a second. So we wait, bring in a Whitney Houston song. Right, exactly. <laughs> I believe the children are the future. Listen, I, I, I there's this thing. So uh, the other day, <laughs> one of our kids was sitting on the couch and he was drinking a red drink, a red drink on the couch. And of course he spilled the drink down his shirt and onto the couch. That is, of course he did. And my Why did lovely- Why you have a red drink in the house anyway? Fair point. My lovely, wonderful, loving husband lost his shit. I lost um, he lost his shit. And I understand that. And I understand it partially because of the fact that we have had the conversation with this child 1,240 times, which is you're not allowed to drink on the couch, right? right? Totally. Okay. But I do want to say couch. this, and it's related to the losing of the raincoats and all this stuff. I have read things that say that the child's brain simply cannot process these strictures, these, these bits of like, okay, when X happens, it results in Y. We may be asking from, for something from them that they just can't handle yet at their age. I don't know. Okay, I'll support you on this. And so my story. <laughs> yes, tell us. He lost his lunchbox a week or two ago. And so I've been sending him to school with a Ziploc bag or just those other plastic containers that come with food delivery, right? Mm -hmm. So yesterday, I was like, Torbett, bring this home. Just like your old lunchbox, bring it home. I will use it until I decide to get you another one. Guess what? No, well, of course not. <laughs> I threw it away and I didn't want to tell you is what I get this morning. Did you? And I lost my shit. <laughs> Did you do an MRI at the time that you had this discussion to see if the prefrontal, whatever the hell that he is, says to me, is connected? He says, I didn't know if you really wanted me to bring it. But I'm like, dude, yesterday when I packed it in your bag, I said, bring this home are we clear yeah and he goes yes it is but no to your point <laughs> i really do <laughs> i really do wonder i i calmed down i got on my knees and i gave him a hug and i'm like dude first of all i love you because i always if yeah. i ever get really mad i really try to 
circle back with, hey, I love you. I'm really fucking frustrated with you. Yeah. But this is, so we've got to make some changes. So anyway, I did the hug. I did all that. And I, in that moment, I was thinking exactly those thoughts. So was, am I really asking too much? But I come don't on, know. He brings home the lunchbox all the other times. No, look, I frequently <laughs> think about the fact, I really do, that, you know, you see these videos of horses when they're born and within like 30 seconds of coming out of their mother, they're like running and doing algebra and whatever. And meanwhile, like human children are like disasters. They can't do anything. They drop everything. You're like, how hard could it be to do and fold the laundry, right? But but I wasn't, I was, I was just a very different kid. I mean, I... Yeah, me too. I, I didn't let my papers get wrinkled in my backpack. This kid, they just come out looking like toilet paper. Yes. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no, I was seriously an angel child. I really was. It's, I'm, I've been well, you've made up a, for it now. Exactly. I've been a bad boy as an adult. That's yeah. what I always wanted to be was a bad boy. Right. So I'm being it now. All right. <laughs> I was talking to our friend, Nicole. She FaceTimed me and she was sitting there with her husband. She has children the same age as ours and she was away for the weekend and she said, oh yes, I'm in wine country. And she was having such a nice time. And I said, well, I'm in wine country too. <laughs> Daddy, I want to do this and I want to go there and I want to do that. Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads podcast. Today, we're going to talk about guardianship, but... Before that, I have two comments from the last episode that Mm. uh, needs to be corrected or should I say clarified. So first of all, we talked with David Ray, uh, financial planner, about uh, health benefit coverage. Some people understood that there is coverage for IVF for uh, gay men in America. Apparently, if you don't live in Illinois, you don't have it. There's no IVF coverage for gay couples. Uh, In Illinois, they have a a recent law that allow that. And I know there are laws that are kind of building up in California and New York as well. But that's part of the mission of uh, men having babies, by the way, that they uh, they advocate for more coverage and for for more benefit that, uh, you know, we as gay men should get just as well as the straight people get. Right. So if anybody heard the last episode and came away feeling that they should expect to receive coverage or, or government support for IVF um, not in their states, other than Illinois, not yet. Not yet. What was the um, other one? The other one is the cost. So we talked about 200000 oh. Um That was how much it was cost to us because we had some mistakes and the mistakes... Uh, you know, end up cost money. The average surrogacy cost for a single ton ranges between one forty and one sixty thousand dollars. Right. Day. I, 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 I want to two hundred. I want to. I want to correct you. What we had were not mistakes. A surrogacy, and and I think this is important, a surrogacy journey can have failures, right? And you don't get those. There are some setups in uh, agency agreements where the failures don't cost you money. But for the most part, what doesn't work still comes out of your own pocket. And so I I guess I want to say the average is really important to hear uh, because it's true that the average is much lower than the 200 that we represented. But saying that it won't be 200 that ain't true it is not out of the question to go way above the number that you might have expected and that's something that you have to be prepared for yes it's true though it's true i have to say that the more you know about surrogacy and i assume also about adoption yeah just, the more you know the more money you can save yeah let's save or spend <laughs> yeah but yeah i would say that with adoption there's similar there's ranges and again it depends on if you go private or um agency and there's a lot of different kind of calibrations there there's a nonprofit like we did 
But then there's, and different states have different laws, so you want to check these out, but different states regulate how you as an adoptive parent can provide money to a potential mother. Ah, so right. Again, there so, are those other expenses that can pop in. What we do encourage is for, for, to do the research. So do the research, talk to other people, talk to lawyers about this. We're going to hear in a little bit from a lawyer, but um, I want to say that the more you know, the, the more you know also about money, right, and how to save it. God, so, it's a lesson of life, isn't it? I know. The more you know, the more you know. Our guest today is Amira Hazenbush. She is an attorney and the founder of All Family Legal, representing all ends of the LGBTQ spectrum. She has a deeper understanding of the special needs that may be involved for LGBTQ families. You know, we were just talking a minute ago about the cost of surrogacy and how important it is to do research and sort of know what the options are, etc. The same is absolutely true with regard to the law and the 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 lawyering that you need to have as part of a surrogacy journey and certainly as part of adoption as well. And so, uh, you know, it's really great to be able to talk to somebody who has been doing this for a long time, understands it deeply, and who is on your side as the prospective parent uh, in the process. Yeah, and uh, we talked about many versions of guardianship that we could think of, but if there's something that we didn't cover, we want to hear from you guys. Uh, write to us at hello at daddy sqr.com it's really important it's great to be able to talk to somebody who's been doing this for so many years and who is on the side of the prospective parent uh in this journey in this process so let's listen to amira amira thank you so much for for being with us today uh we're going to talk uh, a little bit about guardianship and the attorney part of it and uh and you're an attorney and it's uh it's great to have you here thanks for having me i want to first of all let's go to the main two main things as far as i see them uh, in terms of uh, guardianship which means uh the surrogacy and adoption just keep in mind i always have to do this as sort of my warning because i'm a lawyer i'm licensed in california i'm going to talk about the process in california i will try to talk generally so mm. that it can apply in other places but it may be different from place to place so i feel like you should say some of the side effects can include driving <laughs> <laughs> side effects of my job are usually having children and then all the things that come along with that so <laughs> things that we sign up for <laughs> i think sometimes there are some surprises but you know <laughs> Um, so they're very different processes. So let's take them one at a time. So surrogacy, there's usually a three-step process when you're talking about, you know, men having children. So you need an egg and usually most men aren't creating eggs. So we're going to work with an egg donor. So you have a contract with your egg donor. Um, you need a surrogate. So you're going to have a contract with your surrogate. And then you also need, um, some sort of court judgment that protects you. Now, there is one state that I'm familiar with in the United States that has an administrative procedure where you don't have to go to court. If you are a same-sex couple, do not, do not do an administrative procedure. You need a judgment to protect your parentage. And if that is the only thing people get out of this today, I will go home happy. What's the difference? So there is something in the United States Constitution called the Full Faith and Credit Clause. And what that says is a judgment from one state has to be legally recognized in every other state in the country. An administrative document is not a judgment. Wow. Ah. So think about before Obergefell. Before we had marriage equality, we could get married in California and go to Alabama and try to get divorced. And they would say, oh, that's nice. We're not going to divorce you. Which is the very thing they're trying to undo right now for marriage. So I, I don't know where that will go. I think that... Um, 
I don't think we have the votes on the Supreme Court yet, uh, but that's a whole, we could have an entire podcast <laughs> totally, about that. Totally different podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, as of right now, though, what I would say is, you know, you always, and this was the advice before, this is the advice after, this is the advice always. You want a judgment that protects your parentage. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the process. In some states, you can get what people call a pre-birth order. So it's a judgment that you get before the baby's born. That's what we do in California. Mm -hmm. That is very smooth and easy because you have that judgment and you basically call up the hospital and you say, hey, I have a judgment that says that mm -hmm. I'm the parent or my husband and I are the parents and the surrogate is not. What would you like us to do with this? And usually you send a copy to the hospital and usually the hospital loses it. So you have another copy <laughs> that you bring with you to the labor and that birth court, the birth clerk uses that to put you both on the birth certificate from birth. And it will vary again by state, even by county as to what mm. the judges want to see. So in California, if you do gestational surrogacy, meaning you have an egg donor, um, there's a very clear statutory framework of these are the boxes you need to check. And in most places in California, if you check all those boxes and your lawyers put together all of the paperwork to say, yes, we checked all those boxes, you don't even have to go in for a hearing. Right. The okay. judge just reviews everything. They'll see a copy of your surrogacy agreement. Some judges will ask for a copy of the egg donor agreement. Others will just say, oh, I see here from the agreement that it says you had an egg donor. We trust that the Got egg donor it. agreement was fine and we'll move forward. Yeah, so, because I, I don't remember us going to court at all. No, we didn't go to court except our lawyer did go to court for us. We were in Oregon. Okay. And um, our lawyer uh, called us and said, I've just left the courthouse and everything is fine. And he went immediately after the birth. So right. I guess because Oregon has different rules. So some states have post-birth orders where you have to wait until the birth and then you immediately go to court and get it taken care of afterwards. Oh. Sometimes babies show up early. So even in a pre-birth order state, you might have to oh. go in for what's called an ex parte. It's like an emergency order where you say, hey, baby's here now. Can we get <laughs> right. the judgment like right now, please? <laughs> Um, but you know, so some states will do pre-birth, some will do post-birth, and then there are states from time to time that will require some sort of adoption proceeding. So it's really important that you, when you're choosing your surrogate, talk to lawyers in the states where the surrogate lives mm. and where the baby's going to be born so that you know what the process is and you're comfortable. There is often more than one jurisdiction that can make the judgment for you. And so you want to look at what all of your options are. What's the easiest? What's the cheapest? And, you know, make your decision. And those multiple jurisdictions may be based on where she is, but also where you are? Where you live, where she is. In California, if you do the embryo transfer here, that's enough to give us jurisdiction. Oh, wow. So I've had a case with a gay couple from China and a surrogate in Arizona. Arizona laws are not great on surrogacy. Mm. They're okay. They're not great. And we did not want to wait to do a judgment in Arizona. We wanted a judgment as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. We're obviously not getting a judgment for them in China. Mm -hmm. So um, we did the judgment in California because we did the embryo transfer here. So that made sense for that couple. For other couples, I have lots of intended parents in California who will talk through it and it'll be like, oh, you're going to Nevada or some other state that's like very surrogacy friendly. You may as well do the judgment there. Vital Records is going to prefer a judgment from their own state. And if the filing fees there are cheaper, the filing fees in California are almost $900. Yeah, of course. So, of course. So, just, if I can know. just take a moment to say, of course they are. <laughs> Go ahead, please. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, my goal is not to do the most expensive process is to do the easiest one. You also might, if you're working with an egg donor agency and a surrogacy agency and a fertility clinic, they are all going to be asking you to sign contracts of some sort. 
with them. If you get your lawyer early enough, you can ask your lawyer to review those contracts and say, you know, they're, they're probably not going to do the review like they do with the surrogacy agreement or the egg donor <clears throat> agreement. But I'll look at the contract and I'll say, this is pretty typical. This looks a little unusual. You might want some clarification here, you know, like just some guidance. What's, so that What's something unusual? Well, it's yeah. unusual. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, something that I don't like seeing that I've seen from time to time in surrogacy agency agreements is they'll say, if you liked your surrogate and you want to work with her again, you have to work with us again. Wow. Right. It's and a, if you don't, you're going to pay us wow. our agency fee either yeah. way. Oh, that's binding. Uh, they can get away with it. It is questionable whether those are even legal in the first place. Yeah. I think that they're, in my opinion, unethical and not good business practice. Yeah, that's if a really you do shady. a good job, then they should be coming back to you. And if a family really bonds with their surrogate and they've kind of decided that they can do the process independently in the future and they're not getting your services anymore, then they're not paying for your right. services anymore. Right. Yeah. So, uh, let's go to, so let's go to adoption now. So, um, I understand. Yeah, so it's about me. Yes. It's about you. And that's why you're here. How early in, in the, like in the decision to have a baby through adoption, should we hire a lawyer? That's a great question. And I think a lot of it depends on how you're coming to the adoption process. So there's many different kinds of adoption. You mm -hmm. can do independent adoption, which is uh, the, the cases that come to me that are independent adoption are usually like, I have a cousin or a friend or mm -hmm. a friend of a friend who... And would independent also be considered private uh, yes, yeah, usually. Okay. Um, but there's private agency adoption also. Okay. So, and again, this is based on California, but you know, it's like, oh, I, you know, I know somebody who is pregnant. Well, then you're going to need lawyers right away to start helping you through that process. Mm -hmm. Other people will say, I really want to adopt from foster care. I, you know, want to adopt from the dependency system. There's so many kids out there who already need homes. And then you're really going to start with an agency, you're going to start with getting your home study, all of those kinds of things. So there's sort of different pathways to get there and where you end up with a lawyer will depend based on that pathway. One thing that I want to ask as a, a blanket question is where do I get my lawyer from other than you? I mean, I realize it could be you, but other than you, where do I get my lawyer from? And literally, what is the lawyer I'm looking for? What, what, what is this kind of lawyer? So usually we call it a family formation lawyer. There are some family formation lawyers who only do assisted reproduction. There are some who only do adoption, and there are many who do both. Okay. Um, the places you can look are, there's a few really good places for listings of lawyers. Um, one is, there's something called Quad A. It's the, it used to be the American Academy of Adoption Lawyers. It's now called the American Academy of Adoption and Assisted Reproduction Lawyers. Rolls off the top, right. don't or it? Attorneys, right? <laughs> not lawyers. <laughs> That's why we call it Quad A for sure. Got it. Um, so all of those the fellows of Quad A are experienced lawyers in this field. And they will actually, if you look on the listing, it will say ART, Assisted Reproductive Technology, Adopt, or both. Ah. Mm -hmm. So that's very easy to identify. Um, there's also, if you are looking for somebody specific to the LGBTQ community, there's something called the Family Law Institute, which is a group of experienced family law attorneys who specifically focus on working with queer families. Mm. That's run by the National Center for Lesbian Rights and the National LGBTQ Bar Association. They also have a listing online by state. So you just go on, there's a state map and you just click on your state. Um, again, you'll have to check some of those lawyers only do divorce, um, but many of them are also experienced in adoption assisted reproduction. 
Um, there's also men having babies has a listing online. Yep. So I think mm. you guys do a lot of work with men we having do. babies. Um, they, I believe are going to be closing their listing soon and merging it with this new thing that's going to be called surrogacy advisor. Okay. Um, which will then have listings of lawyers there. Um, all of those are, are good. And then for a lot of folks, your friends and family have done this before. So right. talk to them about who they used and who they had good experiences with. I think it's true in most states that for adoption, the uh, birth mother can't be compensated. Correct. Where on surrogacy you can. Right. So in adoption, you can pay like reasonable living expenses for the adoptive parent, but you cannot come, you don't pay for a baby. Right. And that's right. also true in surrogacy. We are never, never paying for a baby. Even in surrogacy, we're paying for the surrogate's time, energy, expenses, pain and suffering, the medical risk she's taking on. We are not paying for a baby. Sure. But for the adoption, that is extremely strict. You know, in California, we have to list the expenses that the intended parents, that the adoptive parents paid. You bring up a, a something that for me, I don't know anything about. Uh, the surrogate is in that third trimester. And for whatever reason, uh, she's struggling, the baby's struggling, and there's uh potential abortion necessary what happens on that note yeah so that depends on the contract and what everyone agreed to up front so she might have the right in the contract most contracts will say the intended parents have the right to make medical decisions for the child as long as it doesn't increase risk to the surrogate's health above and beyond that of a normal pregnancy and labor and delivery however we know that everyone has medical rights over their own bodies right. pre jobs <laughs> yeah. until recently right? sure pre jobs we would then put in all caps like <laughs> and Roe v Wade said she makes her own decisions and this is basically a handshake agreement and if she says no she wow. says no right. wow. i have now changed that to the california statutory law that protects surrogates and everyone to make their own mm. medical decisions so it really is a handshake agreement you no one is going to strap a person down to right. the table um and so you know there that's why there's a lot of screening and vetting ahead of time to make sure that everyone's on the same page there are some surrogates who will say i will not have a termination under any circumstances unless my life is at risk right and you only match her with intended parents who have the same plan right i want to talk about uh, anderson cooper's uh case with you and no, he, he's not your client, but yes. the, the story <laughs> is—is is he your client? No, the reason I bring it up is that what what happened with him is that he went on his first surrogacy as a single dad, and then he got back with his ex boyfriend. I'm not really familiar with the gossip around it. The point is that his boyfriend is now had to go through a second parent adoption uh, over his surrogacy child. Do you can you talk a little bit about that? What 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 that? Um, how do you contain? add a how do you add a father in to an existing family? Is what yes. this really comes yeah, down to, right? Absolutely. And in some respects, this is not a new concept. We've had step parent adoption right. for a very long time, okay. or second parent but adoption. I watched the Brady like bunch. an additional. <laughs> I thought that step parent isn't like an additional to the parents who are already parents, no? So actually, okay, so no. step parent historically was basically switching out the parents. So um, it was usually, let's let's talk historically, mm -hmm. a different sex couple. So you've got mom and dad, they get divorced. Let's say kid goes with mom and mom gets remarried to stepdad. So stepdad wants to raise the child. So they basically take out bio dad and replace with stepdad. Oh, they would take him out? So typically, historically, step parent adoptions, oh. you had to only, you could only have two right, parents. two parents, right. Oh. And so we said, okay, you know, if stepdad, if bio dad will consent to if it. If he'll consent to or it. Or right. if he hasn't consented, but he hasn't been around and we terminate 
terminate his parental rights, then we can replace. So that was typically the way that another parent got out. It was a step-parent adoption. Then we had all these same-sex couples who couldn't get married. And they said, well, we're two parents, and we'd like to both be parents to this child, and maybe one gave birth. Why can't we do a step-parent adoption? And the court said, well, you can't because you're not married. Right. The step-parent adoption occurs mm. within a marriage. So they started doing what we're now calling second parent adoptions, which was basically an adoption outside of marriage. Mm. So that was historically sort of how that came to be. Mm. So whether it's a step parent or second parent adoption is usually based on whether there's a marriage. And in California, starting in 2016, they said we can actually find for more than two parents. Mm -hmm. And so um, there are different ways to do it depending upon how things started. So it sounds like I... Sorry, I haven't kept up on Anderson Cooper's family, <laughs> but it sounds like he did the surrogacy on his own and the yeah. boyfriend came later. Yes. So he was already established as a parent during the parentage judgment phase and became a parent and then boyfriend comes in. So if they get married, he can do a step parent adoption mm-hmm. um, where they where basically they, they do it and there's no other parent to replace at that point. They just add in the future husband. If they don't get married, it would be called a second parent adoption. And in California, the home study process is very different if it's within a marriage or outside of a marriage. So you have to have a home study for that? Yes. So in California, we also have a streamlined confirmatory step-parent adoption, um, which is typically for lesbian couples, but gay couples often will use it if they did a surrogacy in a state where only one of them could have been recognized Uh, in that state. So there are some states where they'll say, we'll recognize bio dad, but we won't recognize non-bio dad. And if you live in California, you can come home and do a confirmatory adoption. So there's no home study there unless the court finds good cause, Mm -hmm. which there's no good cause. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it's very, very rare. Um, Usually there's no home study. There's no hearing for those. You basically file the birth certificate and the parentage judgment and the marriage certificate. This has to happen. So these confirmatory adoptions have to happen in the context of a married couple. Mm. That's what the law is in California. Um, So those don't have a home study or a hearing or anything like that. But um, if they were an unmarried couple and only one was recognized, then you'd have to come back here and do the second parent adoption. There's a woman who I'd like to add as a third. Excuse parent. me. Just listen. <laughs> she don't. She doesn't want this. But I knew you're not gay. Can we just add her in without her knowledge, no. so that she's obligated to parent our children? No, she not allowed. Party. She has to be a party to the case. <laughs> what kind of lawyer are you? Oh, sorry, everybody's got to get noticed. It's part of the process. Yeah. So. So you said that the three parent three parents thing is it only in California? You cannot have it in any other place. Uh, there are a handful of other states. Okay, yeah. so so it means that even if like like the parents got divorced and one of them got uh, married again, the third person can be a parent too with consent of both of the parents. other. Oh, yes. I see. So you'd either need consent or again, or if you're in a thruple. Right. So I have yes. a thruple the- up in San Francisco, and there's actually two ways to do it if the because the child was conceived within the relationship and they all intended to be three parents. They had a three parent baby shower, you know, oh, like all okay. that kind of stuff. Um, they need a TV show. So, <laughs> Oh, everybody has a TV show. Oh, please. <laughs> so we're doing it under the assisted reproduction. Uh, well, no, it's not under the assisted reproduction. It's on the uniform parentage act, which is kind of a nuanced detail that we don't have to get into, but um, you can either. So under adoption law, it basically says if the parents consent, you can have a third parent. Right. Period. Full wow. Stop. Under the non-adoption laws, so which we're using here under the Uniform Parentage Act, it says you can find for more than two parents if there's a presumption there and if it would be detrimental to the child to find 
not for more than two parents. So you mm. have to show detriment to the child. So yeah. it's a slightly different standard depending upon how you're doing it. But yeah, you can have throuples, you can have divorced and, you know, recoupled families. Uh, there are families where it's like two lesbians and two gay men and they've decided that they're going to like do this all together and you have four so if you families. Have, well, you know. So wait, so if you have four people, mm-hmm. then but you, ha- you have to choose three of them. That no? means I can no. be your no. kid's dad. So there's for, oh. no there's no technical limit on the number of parents a child oh, can have I in see. California okay. anymore. Okay. It says the child can have more than two. I gotta oh, tell you, I the see. state of California is just wacky. <laughs> I like it. I'm happy we're here. Um, I think right. we should move on to yes. our next segment. Yes. So um, during the research for this uh, episode about guardianship, I ran into this term godfather. And I know we talked, Amira, before, uh, and you, you told me you're not dealing with godparents. I wasn't sure on what that godparents is. So I turned to our community, and we have three uh, gay men who are uh, godfathers. And they're going to tell us about what that is. And w- I want us to all listen to what they have to say and maybe comment on it. So the first one is um, Jonathan. He's a prospective dad. But he's also an uncle and a godfather, so let's hear what he has to say. My older sister uh, had her firstborn in 2017, and that's my nephew, Bo. And we're a Catholic family, and so when I came to baptize him, he, quote-unquote, asked me to be his godfather. I, I gladly accept, and my little sister is his godmother. Historically, I believe, you know, as far as the Catholic side goes, I think the godparents were the ones, you know, accepting the responsibility to take care of the child should anything happen to the parent. And I don't think that's so much um, the purpose of a godparent anymore. Um, For us, it's more of a, you know, you kind of, take that responsibility on to be a good role model for the kid, uh, always be there and just be a special person for them. But you're just kind of making that proclamation in the eyes of the church in that regard. Yes. Now, Jonathan. Um, so yeah, that's where I, we realized that basically it's more of like a religious uh, term rather than, uh, um, you know, in legal term. My husband is not a student of the movie the Godfather, which is I'm heartbreaking not. to me and one of the reasons why our relationship I'm is I'm a challenged. student of the movie Grease <laughs> and <laughs> Wedding Planner. Well, my point, though, is this. Um, you know, from watching the movie, um, which is the best movie that was ever made, um, I uh, I went back and I, I, I did a little research about the concept. And in the Catholic Church, um, a Godfather is essentially a spiritual avatar for the baby. The baby is too young to make decisions. The baby is too young to decide whether he he wants to be baptized. And so the idea is that you get a stand-in and you say to the stand-in, your job is to be Catholic for this child. And so he, the godfather is the one who actually answers the questions that are given during the baptism. If any of you have seen the best scene ever made in the best movie ever, um, Michael Corleone stands there, and as they're baptizing the baby, um, the priest says, you know, will you cast out the devil? And Michael answers the question, because obviously the baby can. And then through the development of the kid's life, until he is of age... 
um, the godfather is effectively held responsible for the spiritual development of the child. And I think that's actually kind of cool. I'm not sure whether legally I would want that obligation to be, you know, held responsible for the, the kids. Uh, but that was not my experience. You were right. a godfather? Uh, no, I had a godfather. Oh, right. And, you know, yeah. they, they always sent me clothes that were way too small because they didn't realize how <laughs> fast I was. Well, how, far, <laughs> how far did they live? Uh, I mean, obviously, a couple hours didn't. away. Oh, from and they still didn't. No, <laughs> no. no. So my experience of Godfather was very different than that description. I have a strong um, suspicion that for a lawyer, this is a very difficult <laughs> conversation because she's like, "This thing has no definition at all." I'm like that's just not my job. <laughs> um, let's move to to another uh, testimonial about Godfather. Uh, our money is um, is a, has three godchildren. And one just graduated high school, so he has much more perspective on being a godfather. And he tells us a little bit about the culture behind being a godfather. My uh, godchild's uh, father and mother, which in Mexican culture we have a actual term for compadre, comadre. That's the, the parents of the, uh, of the godchildren. We were actually graduating high school, my best friend and I. And he was going to have a child with his girlfriend at the time and uh we were just um in southern california just some couple of kids and so um when they asked me to be the godfather i actually let them know i was concerned because i was gay and that was actually my first coming out to anyone and they didn't have any issues with it. Um, and so that was a really good experience uh, uh, as my first coming out. The church is kind of in a, I guess, don't ask, don't tell kind of situation. They don't really care, you know, as long as I didn't really bring it up. And it's not like, you know, I was wearing any kind of like rainbow pin or anything. Um, so, yeah, so that wasn't uh, that much of an issue. In Mexico, we throw the godfather and godmother term around so much. It's basically like at this point, it's like, you know, oh, you're going to sponsor part of my wedding. You are the godfather, the godmother. We have, you know, godfather of the music, godmother of the food or whatever. So yeah, there's no limit. Um, yeah, it's really just more of the status. If something were to happen to her or to them, if it would have happened uh, earlier on, they probably have, you know, more closer family that probably would have taken custody other than myself. Yeah, so it's um, basically kind of a nice connection between the families that... Um, and going back to a conversation we had, there's nothing like this in the Jewish... No. no, no. The concept of being in charge of the child's spiritual well-being and you know taking on their sins as the parents. Yeah, in Judaism, it's in in Judaism, it's pretty rough. In in very conservative Judaism, it's the dad, and so much so that in Jewish law, uh, theoretically, you can be punished for the sins of your child until your child turns thirteen as a boy or twelve as a girl. At which point, there is a prayer that you say, which is thank. God for releasing me from this responsibility, which I have to tell you at the end of a long summer of taking care of our children, <laughs> I'm ready to say that prayer too. Um, I did want to just bring one thing up about Armani, something that he said that is very meaningful to me, uh, which is that the priests knew that he was gay and yeah. they just sort of waved it away. And one thing that I think 
um, politically, we don't pay attention to very often, but in our podcast, we have seen time and time again, is that what happens on the ground is often so different from what happens in the media and in Washington, D.C., and in the law. Like, people on the ground are very often kind of like, oh, who cares about so many of these LGBT issues, Q issues, etc. As long as um, you're not wearing an LGBT pin. No. I mean, <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for him to say like a wig or right, 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 right. I always wear a Liberace outfit for when I became a godfather. But, but I'm just saying, like, I think it's important for us to stop and recognize that very often the interpersonal relationships that exist in communities don't focus on these things at the level that they do in activism and in Washington, D.C., and that we can really build on that. Those types of relationships really matter because that's where things actually happen. So it, it it's warming for my heart to hear that a Catholic church would say, well, yes, but we're not going to worry about that here. Just leave the dress at home. <laughs> well, then you'll be completely uh, naked, but okay. <laughs> fine. The last uh, testimonials that we hear about uh, Godfather is from Kyle from Louisiana. He's a dad of a one and a half years old. He has a Godfather for, for his child, and he's a Godfather. And what's interesting with him, uh, Amira, is that he talks about uh, he being forced in the contract of the surrogacy to find who's going to be like the next of... Kin. Right. So let's hear what he said. Uh, a friend of mine asked me to be a godfather to her little girl. You can be as involved as you really want to be in that regard. Sometimes I think that um, you can be asked to be a godparent because you're a good placeholder and you meet the requirements because there are usually really strict requirements that you have to meet. You have to have completed all of your uh, right, like first communion, first um, confirmation, Along with that, you have to be in good standing in the Catholics, in the church's opinion. Like you have to belong to a parish and actually have um, your name enrolled in the parish that you're an active member there. Um, turning it around to me at this point, when we had our little girl and we knew that we were going to raise her Catholic, um, you know, in the Catholics opinion, they don't acknowledge gay parents. They don't acknowledge gay marriage. But what was interesting was that our the priest that's in our parish said, hey, this is about the child. This isn't about you. So we don't care if you're gay. We don't care if you're married. Um, he said parents who have children out of wedlock, which is also frowned upon in the church the same way that they frown upon gay marriage. We still baptize that child because it's not about the, it's not about the parents. So basically what they ask is that you teach this child to be caring, loving and do what's right. And then everything else doesn't matter. It could be that if you are that close and that the parents are asking you to take on that role of being tied to them, you could be that next in line. Uh, those are the things that I don't like to, to think about. I will tell you the interesting thing with surrogacy was that they force you to do that. They make you set up that. Well, And I was not prepared for that. I had no idea we were going to even get into that, into that contract phase. And then it's like, okay, Okay, we got to get all these people in place um, and try to make sure everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. 
Well, you know, in the in the church and state, that is this this episode is a total church and state episode. We started with the state and then we went to church, but now we're coming back to the state in the form of Amira. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. I only remembered from this interview that we, when we were filling out the paperwork for uh, surrogacy, we did have to yeah, do a next you. of kin or a, yeah. what? Do you, what? What is it formally called? Nomination of guardianship. Is Nom- right. Called. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how that works? Yeah, so there's there can be multiple. I generally have three people named. I have the person who should be available in the case of an emergency when you're just not reachable, right? Mm-hmm. If there's an emergency medical decision that needs to be made and you're not available, uh. who are we calling? I have people who could be temporary guardians to pick up the child from the hospital if you can't get there. That became very important during COVID when a lot of people couldn't travel. And then we have nomination of guardianship, which is the formal nomination of guardians in the event that both of the parents pass away, or if it's a single parent, the one parent passes away. And that person is meant to be the person who takes care of the child indefinitely you know, if the parents are no longer alive. So we usually put all of that into the surrogacy contract. I try to write mine in a way that if they don't make an estate plan, it should be legally sufficient, but it always says in the contract and you will do estate planning documents and you will update them accordingly with all of this information that you just put in here. Because what you're talking about there is that it's not just about who gets the kid, but it also who gets the money from the family that just died. It can be. So in California, we actually have guardianship of the person and guardianship of the estate. Uh And so the guardian of the person is taking care of the child. If the child, usually guardianship of the estate is done for people who have very large estates, you know, Um, but it can be anyone, you know, sometimes I say to people, well, you might have a sibling who's going to be great with the kids, not great with money. Uh So you might make a trust and somebody else is in charge of the trust is the guardian of the estate. And that person is just, you know, your sibling is in charge of the kid. Mm -hmm. So you can split it up if you want to. So you don't have it in adoption at all? Any of these? uh, The requirement for guardianship? We had, we filled that out. Oh, you did? Oh, it kind of makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. If I put a name on that list that I really shouldn't have put down, the the government has no part in it, right? Right, exactly. Point. This is a contract. The contract does usually get lodged with the court for them to review to make sure it followed all the surrogacy requirements. There's no, in California, and as far as I know, in any state, there's no legal requirement that your surrogacy contract have this information mm-hmm. in it. It's just good practice. Right, right. But no, it's not getting you know filed with a court. It's just basically there as information if, God if forbid, something right. happens. Oh, so it's it's not it, it doesn't relate to any court decision? The court doesn't have to approve that um, if whoever you, it is? It, so if you pass away and then you need a guardianship for your child, essentially at that point, the court decides what's in the best interest of the child. So they give due respect to your wishes and whatever, you know, ah. if there were written wishes, they will look at that. Um, they'll also look at if the child has been living somewhere continuously, they're going to want stability for the child. If there are other family members who are also coming forward, the court's going to look at all of that and make so a decision. If, if it's not filed anywhere, how can they know? Sorry for the dumb question, but how can they know uh, there is one? No, it's a really good question. When somebody dies, usually people are like, uh, where's the will right right right. so it should be in the will and with all that estate planning stuff and so if you are partnered you should absolutely be telling your partner here is where my documents are if you are not partnered you should be telling a good friend or something like that and you should also have there should be a lawyer who helped you draft it sometimes i've heard of people dying and nobody knows where the documents are and they call every probate and estate planning attorney in the you know in the town and say hey was so-and-so your client hey was so-and-so your client they just died we're trying to find out if there's a will 
So there, we we really should have a better system for it. Jan, um, I just need you to know that- You want to say you know yeah. <laughs> You know your Kylie Minogue memorabilia box? It's, I put all the paperwork in it. <laughs> oh my God, that would be sure it's a safe place. Um, so what? let's say that uh, we're parents who don't have this legal guardianship, uh, whatever, nomination. nomination. Um, is there a way to do it separately? Because we did it as a part of the surrogacy and- Yeah, it's yeah. normally not done. In, you know, it, it can be done as a good practice in a surrogacy agreement, but normally it's done as part of your estate planning documents. Right. So it's really important for everybody to have an estate plan, and particularly if you're a parent. So when you're talking to an estate planning attorney, it should be just a normal part of their process. They're going to ask you, who, you know, do you have kids? Do you have a house? And I What just went through all this in December, and yeah, I, all of that. Is it a, a lot of work? It's, it can be. It depends on how organized you are and it depends on how much assets and how much everything that you're going through. But it, uh, I did find that process really challenging because my sister would be a logical spot, but we aren't that close and she's in Colorado and I'm here. And so there's those differences. And so I really had this gut search of like who should something happen to both Ron and I at the same time, mm -hmm. where is best to go for Torbett. And I'd forgotten who we may be put on our adoption <laughs> yeah. agreement. And so I'm assuming that's one of the questions I want to follow up. Since I just did this, that would supersede yes. what we ever had yeah. before. So they look at the dates and they'll, unless you say, you know, I mean, you should look at your adoption stuff. It says this supersedes everything moving forward in, right. and, and finitum, you know, then right. you need to worry about that. But usually they just look at the date and they go with whatever the latest. And then they handed me a binder and said exactly what you said. Tell your <laughs> two or three significant people in your life, if something happens, go get this. You can here. have it on my Kylie Minogue. <laughs> exactly. If you want. Um, on my shelf, Kylie Minogue. <laughs> well, you know what's also an interesting question is, did you tell the person who you nominated? Yes. That they're nominated? Probably so a good I, idea. I've heard of different people having different feelings on it. I talked to a friend of mine It's and weird. she was like, we are not telling who was nominated. She has five siblings. Right. Oh. And she was like, they will find out if we die. And yeah. if we <laughs> don't, then well, nobody will. My, my brother was very upset that he was not named and that, that Jan's brother was. That was primarily because because my brother has four children already, and, you know, I didn't think it made sense to... Anyway, none of this is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Amira, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It was Thanks a great discussion. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Thank you, Amira, and I would also like to thank Jonathan, Armani, and Kyle for their perspective on God Parenting. Uh, the full interview with uh, all three of them can be found on the episode page at daddysqr.com. And I love it, Alex, when you said the church versus state, <laughs> because, you know, going into that whole subject of guardianship, I also ran into the term godparent, and I want to kind of investigate and make sure that we all know what it means and um, what it doesn't mean, yeah. which is guardianship. <laughs> Daddysqr.com One thing that I do want to discuss with, with you guys is the nomination of guardianship because we did that as part of the surrogacy uh, journey that we tell the court on like who, who do we want to take care of our kids if something, God forbid, happens to us. Right. You did that too, right, yes. Danny? Yeah. I don't remember who we picked. But yeah. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> That's bad. I changed all that with doing my yeah, you will said and that trust. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so then, yeah, now you know you're... you're yeah, now I know who it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, so I want to say that um, I feel so good with that, that we did that, Alex, that yeah. I actually would like to recommend people who are even straight people to do that. I think that most do. Uh, I'm you, not sure. You think? 
I think I usually do. when you do yeah. a will, it's sort of part and parcel with doing a will. But when do you do a will? Not at age 20, when the kids are born. Well, it depends who on who the what hell's you... having kids at the age of 20 who are via IVF. I mean, oh. it really depends on kind of what you have to leave behind, right? But as you get older and potentially have property and assets, et cetera, et cetera, then it's something to do with that. Well, it's not just about the money, though. I mean, I think incredibly important is that if, God forbid, you get hit by a bus and your children don't have a parent at the moment, there are all kinds of decisions about what that child, where are they going to go to school, what yeah, are they no, going to do, and that has to be given in a very formal and official way to somebody as their responsibility. Um, yeah. And I mean, isn't and it in, going to the authorities in in like general cases? If you have not, if you if have you, nothing, if you yeah, have nothing state. written down, that's scary. There's a process that it, well, it's not that it's not that they're not going to try to have a next of kin do it. The government will always prefer that it's you know a close relative or something like that, but it, right. Can get confusing. Your your mother can be fighting with your Sister. mother-in-law about who's going to take care of the kid, or you know whatever. And you want to just lay down the law ahead of time and then throw yourself in front of a bus. <laughs> right. I also like the the difference between. I learned the difference between step parent adoption and second parent adoption. Mm, yes, uh, st- second parent adoption is outside of marriage, and it's actually because of us, the gay people. Happen. Nice. No. Yeah. Everything's because and, yes. um, and and step parent adoption is within the marriage. So that yeah, one that, thing? the whole idea of second parent adoption is really fascinating. Yeah, that's a whole topic. Yeah, on its own. yeah. <laughs> um, and also, uh, last but not least, she actually opened with that. Amira's best advice for same sex couples: do not do an administrative procedure. You need a judgment to protect your parentage. Oh, that's, I see. That's, that was her a thing she said, like, if people come out of this interview knowing just that, she will be happy, so we want to make her happy. <laughs> now, men having babies, every week we get uh, the wonderful organization Men Having Babies to talk about um, all things related to having babies through, through surrogacy. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, what are the lawyers' role in the process to kind of match with our theme of the episode. Right. Uh, Sarah Miller, the Director of Business Development, will talk to us about... Um, um, the, ro- the lawyer's role in the process. Let's hear from her. This is Men Having Babies Corner. Attorneys are so vital in this process, and they are really instrumental in making sure that at the end of the day, the baby that is born is recognized legally as your child and not have any legal ties to the egg donor or the surrogate. So at the very beginning stages of your journey, you're going to use an attorney to draw up your contracts, both with your egg donor and with your surrogate. Your egg donor and your surrogate will have separate legal counsel to make sure their rights are protected as well. Um, And then you guys will come to an agreement and those contracts will be done and you'll go through the journey. And at the end, some, depending on where you live, some states you're able to do the parentage process even pre-birth while your surrogate is still expecting. Some states have a post-birth parentage process. So it really varies based on where your surrogate is going to deliver. Um, but in either scenario, you will need an attorney to finalize that parentage, make sure you are recognized as the parent, all ties severed to the egg donor and the surrogate. And if you're international, you'll potentially also need um, an attorney to help you bring baby home to your home country as well. The easiest way to find an attorney is you can use MHB's provider directory page. We have a whole bunch of attorneys who are involved in third-party reproduction and have a lot of reviews that you can see there. 
Agencies are a great place to connect you as well. They have many connections. They are very familiar with the surrogate and an attorney from which state that you would need to work with. For more information, go to menhavingbabies.org. You know what impresses me about these um, men having babies corners that we do? Uh, I'm the one who actually records all of them with with mm-hmm. uh, the folks who who represent men having babies, and it impresses me that there's no script. I tell them what the topic is, and they just go. They just know exactly what they're talking about, and they yeah. are it, all of them are so knowledgeable on the subjects that we interview them about, and it's very impressive. And what's even more interesting is that they don't have. Uh, Mm, mm, like they speak fluently yeah, that's, like that's throughout exactly. the whole thing it's yeah. like oh my gosh it's like I don't a, know whether our hit play <laughs> I don't know whether our listeners realize how much time my husband spends removing the uhs and ums of myself from what we do but we don't get it from the men having babies people <laughs> all right uh, so let's move on I want to talk about the corn song <laughs> so it's corn do you, know, do you know that no oh my gosh how do I not so, know the corn song okay so the corn song is like this thing where I Our kids are currently obsessed with that. Yeah. Uh-oh. And it has like the stupidest lyrics ever. Well, because it they are... it itself. It's because they are the words of a small child who somebody recorded and turned into a song. A song. Yeah. And, and the words go something like, it's corn. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at this thing. Mm-hmm. It's corn. <laughs> it's juice. It's got the juice. I've, I've heard that part over and over Now, again, too. So, and I'm trying to figure out. So I, yesterday, I really quizzed Adam on, like, how did you hear from it? And they don't remember. They can't tell you. Yeah. Where did you, he- where did you hear it? How did you come across this song to begin with? He's like, no. Actually, it was a speaking word. Like, somebody said it, and then it turned to a song. It's one of, listen, it's it one of those it's one of those smelly cat type things where the words were just like some random ass thing right. and then somebody who knows how to make You're calling smelly cat random ass thing and then somebody who knows how to make a, a smelly song. cat is a, is just a genius song. It is genius. Please. I'm just saying that this works uses the same the I'm same smelly mechanism. cat. I want to point are, are out Are we playing corn song in the background? Yeah, right I think now? we really need to, Yanir. Can okay. we do that? That song will take yeah. us out. All parents think that these like ridiculous little things that their kids bring in and they're laughing about, etc., are ridiculous. But I can guarantee you that we had know, exactly to, the same thing. I was things. trying to think of one that was, like, we, well, like I Psych and it. Not. We didn't have songs. We didn't have YouTube. We didn't have technology. Yeah, it's to, all YouTube. No. So I'm, I'm looking, you know, I, um, Our I was looking. Our stuff was like the to, merry-go-round stuff. Today, this morning, the kids were so crazy that I... Um, You know, if they, if they go too crazy in the morning and I want to calm them down be- before school, I let them watch YouTube because that's how that I know. That calms them down? down? <laughs> that's like they're magnetic, like physically calm down. Okay. They're, they're, because they're staring. They're staring. On. But the, the content that they watch, it's like, it's amazing me. It's amazing to me. To, today, Adam, today, Adam watched a YouTuber going a thousand times on a, on a Ferris wheel. Did he vomit? Did he vomit? No. See, but it's, it's like, how did he not vomit? It's so, to me, it's like so boring, but they're obsessed with these, these kids who do like silly stuff. Like, 
I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm returning to what I said before. I don't actually believe that that is conceptually new. When I was a little kid, I think, oh, oh, I know what it was. When I was a little kid, we were crazy about um, the Guinness Book of World Records, right? <laughs> oh my and God, we, you're such a dork. And they and had we, tablets. And <laughs> we, that, no, it was on scrolls. It was papyrus. But anyway, the point is that we would talk about it. We would say, oh, dude, he's the tallest man in the world and blah, blah, blah. And this guy put, picked his nose for like, you know, 25 hours straight. And that was really, really interesting stuff to us. Speaking so. of picking noses, did you see the new study? They what? believe there's a bacteria yes. on the finger that will cause Alzheimer's, I believe it is. But from nose picking? Yeah. yeah I actually Prolonged I, nose picking. I actually think that they're not looking at it right. I think it's simpler than that. You're, you're just up picking really your close to the brain. <laughs> right. If you're doing it right, yes. you're also almost up in there. I, I hear it. Yep. Thank you guys for watching. Uh, if you have any comments or... Uh, would like to talk to us, would love that. You can write to us at hello at daddysqr.com. Check out, check out the Instagram page. We'd, we'd love to feature you there too. So we feature gay dads uh, every day um, and we'd love to have you there too. It's at daddysqr. Daniel, how can they reach you? Uh, I was actually trying to come up with a corn song to take us out. <laughs> you can get to me. I mean, look at this thing. You can I get mean, to me. Well, I'm, hold on a second. Okay. I got it one thing at a time. Okay. Designer dad. Uh, at gmail or dznrdad uh, on instagram look don't forget that we love to be rated and rated highly uh in your podcast listener whatever that is uh helps other people find the show and that matters an awful lot to us too yes so please rate, rate and review us for everyone who gives a five-star rating we'll email you the corn song there no, are copyright issues but <laughs> nonetheless um i mean look at this thing Guys, it was a great hour. <laughs> thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, guys. And thank you, Alex. Bye. And thank you all. See you guys very, very soon. Bye. Bye.